Like a deer in the headlights or gum in your hair, what got you here will not get you there. Join us as business owners get unstuck in real time on the business building struggles we all share. Welcome to the Business Breakthrough Podcast. And here's your host, Esty Rand. Welcome to episode 93 of the Business Breakthrough Podcast. I have today David Hoffman. Welcome to the show. Hi, Esty. Thank you for having me. I am the, we've been having a blast already, guys. You are in for a super treat. David is a serial entrepreneur building multi-million dollar companies, you know, for fun. He's led the International Trade Powerhouse Global Regency, shipping products over 200 million PA? I don't even know what that is. To over 40 dollars. countries. What? <laughs> dollars. It's dollars. Ah, <laughs> it's like listed funny. Okay. Um, and he's been a CEO for over 15 years, considered an expert in China sourcing, supply chain, private label, and brand licensing. Um, and I'm excited to dive into all the China stuff, especially with everything that's going on now. So he left the corporate world, working for public companies, opening retail stores around the country while overseeing buying and marketing as a director to pursue entrepreneurship and left for Hong Kong in 2002, which is where he's based out of. Um, so Dave, we have a lot to talk about, like we, a lot. We, we do. I feel like I want to dive in just by asking, what does it feel like when the company hits the multi-millions? Like when you see those numbers the first time and you're like, okay, we crossed seven figures. What, like, what goes through your head? That's why we work so hard. <laughs> and you, you, you just being go, well, that, that's why we stress out every day and have chaos around us every day because that's the goal. And then do you just go like, okay, I made it, I'm done. Or does it then go to the 10 million? No, you start panicking, worrying how you're going to keep it there yep. and what you have to do to maintain it and sustain it and grow it. It doesn't end. It I love that ends. you said that. I love so much that you said that because anyone who hasn't been there doesn't believe it. And everyone who is there and has been there knows exactly what you're talking about. Exactly. Cause when you start, you're like, can this thing work? And then you're like, can I get it big enough? And then when you get it big enough, you're like, can I keep it this big? <laughs> exactly. And you literally wake up every day stressing because you've got so much business going on and so many responsibilities and obligations around it that you start going like, why did I want that in the first place? Totally. <laughs> and you worry, how do I keep it? Yep. And then you're like, is this what I was trying to do? Like, is this what I was going for? Exactly. Exactly. Everybody always thinks like, oh, like you're giving up the nine to five or the corporate world or whatever it is to start your own business journey. And it's going to be great. And they're going to have this freedom. And I, I always say definitely not. It's the complete opposite. You're going to work 10 times harder, 10 times longer hours with 10 times more stress. But in a weird way, you're going to like it. Totally. For me, it's always worth it. And I say the same thing. It, you're not doing less work. It's, it's the freedom and the flexibility and the, the autonomy, if you will. You're in charge. It's an in charge thing. You know, um, I have a line. What's the line? Right. Basically, like if, if you're starting your own business, so you have more time. You yeah. could also just have triplets so you get more sleep. True. <laughs> 100%. Same idea. Same exactly it's so idea. true. But you're right. You work harder. And I think like the, the, one of the things is, is like you, in a job, you screw up and you've got to answer to a whole bunch of people. In your business, you screw up and you do screw up loads. I mean, who doesn't? 
but you just take it on the chin and you go, okay, well, let's move on, get it right and carry on. And that, that, that's what the freedom is, you know, and not have to answer to anyone. Totally. And in a way, you answer to more people, but it's not the same. You know, like exactly. what, if I need to take off for something so I can cancel three client meetings. So I'm canceling three people instead of asking one boss, but I'm telling I'm not asking. And I feel like that's kind of the difference. It's like, exactly. I can't make this meeting. When you have the boss, it's like, please, Mr. Boss, I, I would really like to not have this meeting if that's okay with you. If it pleases you, Mr. Boss. Exactly. And you have to figure out how to fit those clients in. You have to figure out how to make them happy, but it's on you. Exactly. But exactly, it's on you. And you know that you feel comfortable within yourself if you can manage that change and, and if it's going to be compromising or not compromising and you make those choices for yourself. And nine times out of 10, they're okay. And, and you get to live the life you want to do the things you need to do. And that, that to me is what it's all about. Freedom. Totally. I love it. So what kind of companies have you been building? Like, what do your companies do? Do you have multiples? Do you pick one, then you finish and you sell it and you move on to another one? Do you have multiple ones running? Like, what's your style? So, <laughs> what's my style? What's style? I think it's a style. Some people, like they build it. it, they sell it out, they do a new one. Some people, they build it, they automate it, and they move on to the next one and they oversee it. Like, everyone's got a certain style. Yeah. So, I, I think I've just, my style is just opportunistic. So, you know, I've been, I've, I've been lucky very much in my earlier years to have great mentors that I worked with who later became my business partners. So like I was lucky that my bosses became my partners and good friends as well at the same time. So I was very lucky to be opportunistic and as opportunities presented themselves, I was able to take advantage of them. And I never ever, to be totally honest, had a game plan on any of them. It was just, this sounds like a great idea. We can do it. We should do it. And we do it. And I mean, loads of things have not done well. So, and we just quietly <laughs> shut it down. Quietly just sweep it off yeah. to the side. No one has to know. And I forget. Sometimes I meet them and go, oh, what happened with this thing that you're doing? And I go, what thing? And I go, oh, no. Do you have any good epic failure stories? Sure. Well, we, we launched a clothing brand okay. um, about two years ago, actually. That's an epic, epic failure. Um, so what happened? Fair, well, to be fair to us, so our background actually, and my background is, is we've run retail stores. We've run online businesses. We actually had Australia's second largest online retailer. Nice. Um, our businesses have always been around products, actually, and sourcing products from China. And that's kind of been our backbone. That's why I originally moved out to China because we had businesses that we were buying products from manufacturers, building our own private label brands and things like that. So everything we did was off the back of having that infrastructure and that resource. So it was always product based. Okay. And, then, and you weren't creating, you weren't patenting, you were sourcing things that already existed and sometimes private labeling them, but you were just adding your label to something someone else already made. Yes. Yeah, so that's how we started. Um, and then we started licensing brands where we could license famous brand names and pay a royalty and then take those same products and put like a world famous brand on them and you know, get a much higher margin because they would have Wait, explain this. What is mm. this? Okay. So, so you can go to China. Yeah. Find a product from a manufacturer and you can put any brand name you like on it. We call it private label, right? Right. And OEM. you make up the name and you stick it on. This way when you go on Amazon, you see the same dress with seven different brands on it. Exactly. Exactly. So 
So if you read, so, so you can make your own brand and that's great to own your own brand. And that's like probably another whole long conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you can do is you can also license brands. So there's a lot of brands that exist in the world that have kind of toned down their operations, or maybe they were known some time ago and they've kind of lost momentum, lost steam, whatever. I mean, there's always a story behind it. And you can actually go to those original brand owners and license their brand from them, which means they'll give you permission to use their trademark. And then you can go and put that on the products. So really? You pay them a and they don't oil. care? Like you're ruining their name or they're just not using it anymore? So, so, so well, there's different scenarios. It really depends on the brand. Some of them care a lot and that you need to work with their quality teams and their approval teams to make sure it meets the brand's image and standards. But they do it because they know they can't enter certain markets or certain countries or things like that. Oh so my gosh. So that's brand. why you could have a known brand in one country. And if you buy it in another country, it's completely different stuff, quality, everything. It's 100%. people like you who make that happen. Yes. Oh, that is so cool. <laughs> I didn't know. I love learning back ends of business. I didn't know that was yes. a thing. I'm amazed that you connected those dots so quickly about some brands being different in different markets. I'm impressed. I always wondered about that. Okay, I get it. So you license the brand name, then you white you take that name from some other country that yeah. exists. So they have the brand equity and they have the reputation and you exactly. stick it on some whatever thing you pick up in China. Exactly. And much quicker and faster than trying to spend that money building a brand and a reputation, right? For sure. Genius. The, I love that. Yeah. So the challenge for the brands that do that or allow that is how do they maintain their quality, quality control? Totally. And, and that's what we do in China. But Got it. So you help maintain the quality control for them exactly. based on what they need. So, so we do both. We actually design the products. We maintain the quality for them. And we actually take on the brand in certain markets. So Very we cool. kind of like... The, particularly integrate in those opportunities. Okay. Um, and, and, and by the way, a lot of brands really stuff up their brands like that. And Completely some do a really that. good job. Yeah. yeah. And some do a really good job, you know, so it's not a perfect science, but I mean, it happens a lot. No, it makes so much sense. And I've seen it so many times and I've always wondered about it. And now I understand it. That's really exactly. fun for me. And it's bigger than you think. A lot of people do it. <laughs> I, I really believe it. Now I really believe it. And I've seen it. And now I'm going to kind of look out for it even more. Exactly. But I, it makes so much sense. So what was your epic fail that you tried to launch your own brand? Well, we look, tried to launch our own clothing brand, okay. um, which was a massive mistake. I mean, we thought we kind of met people that were kind of really into the clothing and the fashion space and everything, which to be fair, they were, and they had a good social media following. But there were a few problems that we didn't understand about the industry. And we were, I think we probably lost just over a million dollars already on that in two years, um, which I'm still licking my wounds. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that hurts. That's a bunch of money. Yeah, it does hurt. It could have been a lot more, but at least I can say we did it a bit more responsibly than most would. Um, but in hindsight, I would have actually done it even more differently, but it, it is what it is. I don't know what I realized is that um, we don't know a whole bunch about clothing and, you know, you need different, you need different sizes for every single color. So, you know, the amount of SKUs you need is insane. Insane. And then level holdings are ridiculously high because of it. And then you sell out of the good stuff and because you, you, you've got so much inventory, you don't want to buy the good stuff back. And 
you know, that was our one massive, massive oversight. And then the other oversight we had, which I, I must be honest, is it was the first time we got involved in a business that um, we were kind of relying on social media to drive sales. And we don't know much. I know a bit more about it now, <laughs> but I didn't know much about it then. And we certainly weren't any good at it either. And I realized that, you know, just having, you know, a couple of hundred thousand Instagram followers doesn't translate into a business or sales. No, <laughs> it does not. Yeah. And, and, and I naively thought it did. I, I believe that a lot of people do. So that's the kind of stuff that I do. <laughs> I know. Uh, <laughs> marketing and not wasting money on it. <laughs> I actually got an email from a Fortune 50 company on the back of my entrepreneur article on the six top yeah. marketing money wasters. And this guy wrote, basically he said, he's like, yeah. we're a Fortune 50 company. You think we know better, but we don't. <laughs> yeah. And I promise you, I've met so many people since that I realize most people don't actually know what they're doing or what they're talking about. And when you find the magic ones that do, it's actually easier than you think. And you get very simple and clear answers. Correct. And I always say, if you, if it, you can't say it quickly, it means you just don't understand it well enough. That's exactly if it takes you a long time to explain it, you don't 100%. know it. That's what I say. If you can't explain it under 30 seconds, you don't understand it. Yes. Okay. No, and this is, in a, in a way, it's so validating, I feel like, for small business owners who make the exact same mistake, cost them maybe a little less money than it cost you. Um, but sure. it's kind of true what they say. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. Absolutely. Exactly. 100%. And honestly, like, I tell people, because I, I, I advise like, a lot of entrepreneurs who want to source products from China, and like, that's what, one of the things we do. And like, I just say to them, like, honestly, the biggest shortcut to success is the right mentor in everything. You know, totally. if you just speak to guys that have been there and done that, they'll, they'll give you an answer straight away. Yeah. And it makes such a difference. I agree. Um, we recently had something that went exactly according to plan, just not my plan. <laughs> <laughs> and I spoke to some of my top guys who, who do this and I'm like, what did I miss? Like, oh, this, 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 this. I'm like, thanks. Did you want to tell me that beforehand? Like, oh, we just figured you knew. Like, yeah. no, no. No, no I, didn't. I didn't. I had no idea. <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't realize that that was a thing. But next time, I'll make sure to just come to you and say, I don't know. Start from yeah, A. I don't know Take anything. me all the way to Z. Pretend I know nothing. I will keep my mouth shut the entire time. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. That's why they say experience is the best um, teacher, right? 100%. I know so many more things now. So the That's current great. thing that you do... So you do the licensing, you do the selling, and you also advise or source, like you're now helping other people do the same thing, right? Yeah, so, so, so what I did was, like, like when, when my stay in China has been really servicing our own businesses, and we've had a few business partners that are like really huge companies buying massive volumes out of China. So it was always like kind of very vertically integrated, all the services we did. So I recently started, which is kind of my new, I call it a hobby, but it's my new business. Like, <laughs> That's the best like kind. The one, it's the business that makes us the least amount of money, but the one that I like the most <laughs> and seem to spend the most time on. I don't know why that is. <laughs> Service versus product. Exactly. That's yeah. Nice. So, so, so it's called Global TQM and, and we, 
basically offer people services in China. And how it really started was because like I I got like friends, family, you know, all over, and like they all trying to buy products from China or source stuff and start their own little business or things like that. And like that all I'd always get an email or a phone call from somebody oh hi david you know your uncle gave me your name said maybe you can help me and i'm uh, uh great yeah I'm not <laughs> <right>. <laughs> uh, and um and like but i mean this goes on and on and on and everybody and like you know of course you can't say no and they say oh i'm happy to pay you and i go well whatever i charge you, you're going to be unhappy because you don't you won't appreciate the amount of time that went into doing that because you don't really understand what goes on behind the scenes. And the truth is like a lot of the things like that have trouble, like I'd say, okay, well just email me the details or copy me in the next email. Like, let, let me try and understand what's going on with your like supplier. And then like, I, like I got, an, I'll give you one example. I get an email that they've been messed around for like two and a half months on a sample. They were trying to get a sample from a factory and they were promised it and weren't getting it. And they're so frustrated. So I called Jenny, one of the girls that work for me. She's been Jenny's been with me for I think 12, 13 years now. And and she's in China. She speaks Chinese. She lives in Chinese. And I said, Jenny, do me a favor. Can you just call this factory? I let I sent her the email. I said, just call this guy at the factory and find out what the hell's going on. She comes back about 10 minutes later. They're sending the sample to our office this afternoon. He didn't understand what the client was asking about. He was as confused as she was for two months. Oh my gosh. I was like, are you kidding me? And, and now I repeated stories like that. So I, I wanted to figure out how can we break down like what we do all day, every day into kind of bite-sized services. Um, so, so I wanted to just kind of figure out like, how can I, how can I monetize it and help more small entrepreneurs, you know, to, you know, find their way around China, navigate their way around China. We got a huge office and resource there. They don't. So how can we put that all together? So it took me probably about two years of kind of fiddling around, messing around, trying to figure out that model. So I kind of feel like we're quite we close to, I think we kind of figured it out now. Um, and, and then, you know, so like we will take entrepreneurs, they'll call us, they'll tell us what the products they're interested in or what they want to launch on Amazon or, or in their business. You know, not all of them are online sellers. And then we, we help them source it from China. And, you know, we, during the process, we teach them and mentor them how to do it themselves. Because like what most people don't get actually is that like that they could never pay for our services because it's endless communication. It, it's like running a bit, it never stops. You talk to your suppliers all day, every day. There's always problems, always you can't just go to someone and say, Oh, um, you do for me, you know, I'm gonna pay you. No, it's, you can't. It's your business, you've got to deal with your own vendors, your own suppliers. So I kind of modeled it in a way that you can kind of learn as you go. And then over time, you don't need us as much anymore. And, you know, successful ones will continue on their own and, you know, nurture their own supplier relationships and just use us for transactional things when they need us. Um, like, you know, maybe physically checking a product or physically going to a factory or things like that. So, you know, that's kind of that's kind of my passion project at the moment and it seems I love to be, it it's so needed I I have so many clients so I work mostly with service-based businesses um, yeah. but I also have a couple clothing lines actually so I, okay. I could have told you that I should have met you before <laughs> you, you should have met Damn. me like a year ago um so I've, I've helped a couple like I like to work with the niche clothing lines 
yes. um, because I always wanted to be a fashion designer. So I just live vicariously through my clients. Um, I design, offline, I'm going to show you what I did. I want to know where we went wrong. <laughs> I'll, I'll look at it. I'll look at it with you. Um, so I, so all the time, right. And I've had some Amazon seller clients as well, and they really get stuck and they don't, they don't know. They don't even know what they don't know. So exactly. what would you, uh, I guess you already do tell people this, but like, how does someone source a factory? Do they have to call a company like you? Do they have to fly out to China? Like some of my, all of my people that are the most successful all yeah. go in person out to China. They go out to yeah. the shows, they meet people in person. Is it even possible for someone to do this if they're not able to go in person? And again, no one I know speaks Chinese. So how does that part work? Yeah. So, so I mean, and it's, it's the, you really hit the nail on the head with, the, with that question because people come to us, and that was one of my reluctances originally when I started this kind of thing was, you know, how do you offer a service when the result almost expected, almost a guaranteed failure in most cases? And I realized it's an education because there's no simple answer to it. The reality is if you're in the product business and you want to build a product or sell a product, it's got to reflect you. And that means you getting on a plane, finding suppliers, finding products you like, you talking to those suppliers and trying to explain to them what changes you want to make. It's very hard to translate that through a middle man. You know, it just, it just doesn't work because all that's going to happen is you end up taking a middle man and saying, everything's your fault. Why didn't you get this right? Why didn't you get that right? It just doesn't work like that. You're dealing with a manufacturer. So, you know, and, and the other thing is, I mean, how many times I can tell you I've gone to a supplier or to a trade show with something in mind and I come back with a complete different idea because you see things and you learn things and they show you other things and you go, oh, wow, maybe that's better or I never thought of that. So for me, I think it's a combination of, of those things. You know, I think I know people that have successfully, you know, from not moving from a chair built an online business and they've never gone to China and they've been lucky, but they, they search online, they order their samples, they send people out to check it out and to help them and it can work. For me, I moved to China because the closer I was to the factories, the more successful we were. Got it. And touching and feeling and changing. So, but I do think like you got to at least have regular visits to your suppliers and to trade shows. You know, even if it's once or twice a year, you know, and then you need some resource on the ground to take care of the daily, you know, transactional stuff, nitty gritty communicating or, you know, checking up on things. So that, that to me, I think is the right way, you know, have a resource on the ground and do, do your buying trips and your visits. That makes sense. But how would people even figure it out? Like I know some of my clients have had so much trouble finding factories that they're happy with. And then the delays are insane. I mean, then with coronavirus, it's, completely out of hand. Um, but like all the newbies, they're like, what, what is Chinese new year? And why did it just ruin my life? <laughs> I love the way you say that. <laughs> Yo, what is Chinese new year? It's a month when nobody works and it's always different. And it just like ruins their entire supply chain management. And then they're just like, we didn't know that that was a thing. And last year was a different thing. And all of this. And, and what I still don't get is if you don't speak Chinese, how does it work? Do they speak English in a lot of factories? Do they have like a, a translator or an English speaker that will interface with people? I have never like when I go to manicure places and everyone's chattering in another language, I never know what they're saying. I know, it's funny. So, 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 so I don't speak Chinese. Really? Me, how do you live yeah. in China, have an office in China, employ so many Chinese and not speak Chinese? 
I go, well, the best part is that I'll be caught up in any office politics. <laughs> I don't even know what's going on. All I know is, is it done or is it not done? Can I see it or can I not see it? So you learn. But I think most of the manufacturers now in China can speak English. Um, right. It's worth it for them. Yes. And especially because they're exporters. If they're exporting and selling to the rest of the world, they've normally got English speaking staff, albeit um, sometimes it's a more broken English or words are different. It's like any language where there's translation, you've got to just be a bit more patient and calmer and that funny enough, their written English is much clearer and better than the spoken. So like I always say, reconfirm it by writing bullet point things, just break it down a little Make bit. Make sure it's always but, written. Yeah. And, and honestly, like if a supplier can't speak any English at all, my advice is run a mile. There's just too many details in any business to have to worry about somebody who doesn't even speak at all the language, right? And most of the factories, you know, the bosses can't speak English, but they employ an English sales team and then they can interact with their boss. So, you know, so that's okay. I mean, obviously all my staff speak Chinese. So we have lots of meetings where they help me translate because it's quicker and faster and things like that. But on the whole, I've just moved more and more towards English speaking suppliers where I feel I can communicate well with them because there's too many problems happening from misunderstanding. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to part one of this episode. Stay tuned for part two going live Thursday. And of course, subscribe. You do not want to miss it.